Jesus, you alone are worthy of our praise. Father, help us to meditate on that this morning. God, please be with me as I speak your truth, as I speak your word. Father, I'm just the vessel. I'm nowhere near perfect. God, I just pray that this morning we can put aside our distractions, we can put aside our tiredness and just encounter you this morning. Father, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So you're stuck with me the whole service today. I'm just kidding. I want to start off by asking us all a question. And you can simply raise your hand if it's true. How many of us have ever rock climbed before? Just raise your hand if you ever, raise them high, it's okay. Rock climbed. All right. So as you can tell from that video, we got back from our youth retreat up to Camp Spofford a few weeks ago. And we did all these crazy activities. We did canoeing, kayaking, uh, archery, paddle boarding, uh, gaga ball, blacklight dodgeball. Did I say low ropes course? No, I didn't say that yet. Low ropes course. We did tubing. And again, just all these different things. And we also did rock wall climbing, which from that video, it's a 30-foot indoor rock wall. And it doesn't look that high, but it's, it's pretty high once you get up there. Um, like I mentioned earlier, we, we did have a topic. We went through Romans chapter 12, and we looked at the, the chapter, uh, the, just the whole chapter and what Paul is, is speaking to us and to the Roman church. And it has the verse I think most of us know. It's, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And I mentioned to the kids that the renewal of our minds only happens with the help of the Holy Spirit. So again, with the, with the help of the helper, as Jesus puts him, the helper, the Holy Spirit, his spirit, we can be transformed and we can say no to this world. We have that power because of the Holy Spirit. So getting back to rock climbing, at Camp Spofford, when me and Stephanie were counselors, uh, they, they went over a bunch of safety protocols because, again, you need to be safe. But where most people get hurt um, or, or where accidents tend to happen is on the descend which means you get up high and you look down and you're like, what do I do now? And as a counselor, they train us. There's certain steps you have to walk through with the campers or with the kids. And it was really cool because I got to belay our youth group kids. Uh, belay means I was the anchor. I was their support. So they had to put their trust in the rope and their trust in me. And uh, so, you know, so, so they're climbing the wall. And the first step to come down is you have to look down and say, I'm, I'm ready to come down. I'm ready. The next step that I would tell you to do is to simply let go of the wall. Let go. It's funny because adults are just as scared as children when it comes to rock climbing. They have this death grip on the pegs, and they're like, ah, are you sure? Can I let go? Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. You can let go. And I tell them to hold the rope that's in front of them. And then here comes the fun part. I tell them to lean back like a trust fall. And I tell them, keep your feet planted on the wall, and you want to lean back. And the goal is to be horizontal with the ground. So if the wall's over here, you want to be like this, and this is the ground. And the object then is to either walk down the wall, or you can do like a jumping kickoff, which is fun too. So most accidents, this method of descending, most accidents happen when the kids hesitate. When they, when they don't trust up, when they're, when they're slowly going back and they, and they have to keep their feet planted. It's such a weird feeling that you're, you're literally looking up at the ceiling and you're like, uh... Is this right? <laughs> yes, it's right. And the whole idea is if you don't go all in, if you don't trust the rope, if you hesitate, you can get hurt. I've seen kids, 
who on the way down, there's something called an auto belay, which means I don't control them. A machine does. And this is for exper not experienced climbers, but if it's your first time climbing, don't do it. But I've seen first time climbers like, oh, I've climbed before. And they get to the top and they let go. And the machine lets them down. And it doesn't stop. It just lets them down at a, at a steady pace. And I've seen kids get all twisted around. They fall down and they, they, their back hits the peg, each peg on the wall. <laughs> they get scraped up. I've seen accidents happen because, again, the kids are afraid or the climbers are afraid of going all in and fully committing to the rope and to the method of descending. So this idea of going all in or fully committing is what I want to talk about this morning. Like rock climbing, if you don't fully commit, if you don't go all in for Jesus, it can be dangerous. And it can be dangerous because you live your whole life thinking you're a follower of Jesus. And when you die and stand before him, he'll say, I never knew you. And that's the sad truth. The Bible is clear that there are a lot of people that are living that way. So this idea of going all in for Jesus. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 18, verse 18. Easy enough. Luke 18, 18. The story that we're about to read also is um, described in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark. So it's in Matthew, Mark, Luke. And each of them have a unique detail that kind of complements the story as a whole. It doesn't contradict but it complements. You get, we get a nice full picture of this story. So Luke 18, verse 18. We encounter this young, rich ruler. And I want to look at what happens when he encounters Jesus. And I want to look at three reasons or three things that keeps us from going all in for Jesus. Just three things. So Luke 18, 18. And a ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I'll pause right there. In ministry, or as Christians, if we're called to make disciples, what an awesome opportunity this would be. If someone comes up to you and says, you know, hey, can you tell me about Jesus? Or can you tell me about how do I get eternal life? You'd be like, man, that's a great question. Let me show you. I'll take you down the Romans road. I'll, I'll talk about the Ten Commandments. I'll, I'll talk about who Jesus is. And in youth ministry, the sad thing is we, we don't get these questions often. We, we pray for them. We want the kids to ask these questions. But kids aren't lining up at the door asking, how do I get saved? How do I get eternal life? And I'm sure you can relate. You don't have coworkers or family members say, you know, oh, I see, you go to church on Sundays. How do you get saved? You know, who's Jesus? So in my mind, I'm reading this. I'm like, man, Jesus has a unique and easy opportunity to make a disciple. It's something, it's almost like you're playing baseball and you get a nice slow pitch, an underhand pitch. And it's like a home run type of question. Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Let's keep reading. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And the ruler said, all of these I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. 
For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? And Jesus said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left their homes and followed you. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. So point number one, if you're taking notes, this is the point one out of three. Self-righteousness will keep you from going all in for Jesus. Self-righteousness or pride or arrogance or your ego Self-righteousness. Now let's look back at this man's approach to Jesus. In Mark's account of the story, the man is described as as running to Jesus. He, He runs, he pursues Jesus, and he kneels down. And he says, good teacher, what must I do? So it sounds like he's doing all the right things. He's pursuing Jesus. He's calling him good. He's kneeling before him. It sounds like he's pretty humble. But Jesus' response to him is, why are you calling me good? Only God is good. And what Jesus does here, and, and if you look at it closely, he's exposing that this man is using the word good very loosely in his life. And I'll explain. He calls Jesus a good teacher. Not that he teaches well or that he's an excellent communicator, but he says, Jesus, you are morally good. You are all good in your heart. And yes, Jesus is, but this man does not know who Jesus is. He doesn't know that he's the Son of God, the Messiah. So he's attributing Jesus, just he's using this word, hey, Jesus, you're a good teacher. I believe you're good. And Jesus says, no one is good except God alone. Why are you calling me good? You don't know me. And what Jesus does is he uses the law to test the man. And and he says, you know, you know the law. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And these are the second half of the Ten Commandments. These have to do with the horizontal relationships that we have with each other and the law for one anothering. And the first five, or the first four commandments are all about our vertical relationship with God, how we should be treating God and and who God is. So again, Jesus is testing him with the second half of these Ten Commandments, the horizontal relationships, how he treats other people, And the young rich ruler tells Jesus that he kept all of these from his youth. So not only does he say Jesus is good, he's claiming to be good himself. He says, Jesus, the law is not for me. I'm good. I've kept these. What else do I have to do? I'm, I'm good enough. What else do I need to do? It also shows that this man has a very shallow view of the law. And once again, he claims to be good. Now, Paul in the New Testament, and also if you've, if you've read the Bible or grown up in church, we as Christians, we know that the law is meant to show us how bad we are. That we can't measure up to God's standard morally. That we can never be righteous or good enough for God. And it shows us how perfect Jesus is and what his standard is for us to be perfect. And even in, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus raises the bar for the law for the people of Israel because they're just having this shallow view. They're thinking, man, we're, we're good enough. Jesus says this. He says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look at a woman and think lustfully, you have committed adultery in your heart. He continues and says, you have heard it said, you shall not murder. 
But if you hate your brother, you are guilty. So Jesus is trying to, to make sure these people know that no one's above the law. According to the law that God gave, even the Ten Commandments, those laws, we fail. We're not good enough. Now this young, rich ruler, he's, he's the ruler, he's most likely the ruler of a synagogue, of a local synagogue. He's not a Pharisee, he's not a Sadducee, but he knows his Bible, he knows his stuff. He's young and he's wealthy, meaning that he's done a lot with you know, finances and, and money and not a lot of time here on earth. He's young and he's rich. That wasn't the norm back then in Jesus' day. People would look at him and say, man, he's blessed. God, God blessed him with so much. He, he has to be a good person. He, he's a good person in God's eyes. And the young rich ruler, getting back to his self-righteousness, he understands the law, and he understands that, hey, I meet the requirements. I'm good. I'm self-righteous. And the problem with this thinking is if we are good and perfect, if you view yourself as enough, as good enough for God based on your works or, or the things that you do, the problem is you don't need Jesus. Jesus' death, his resurrection, the cross doesn't mean anything if you think you're good enough for God. You can cut out the middleman who was Jesus. Again, that's a dangerous way to think. It's a very self-righteous way to think. And this story takes place with two other stories right before it that Jesus also exposes self-righteous behavior. If you look at your Bibles in Luke 18, in verse 9, we see this parable of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And it just starts off and it says, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Now, I won't go through the parable, but he compares someone that the people deemed holy, a Pharisee, and someone that people deemed unworthy, a tax collector. And at the end of the story, Jesus said the tax collector went home justified because he knew his self-worth was less than Jesus, that he was not worthy. So again, Jesus is, is exposing self-righteous behavior. And then in Luke eighteen fifteen, right after the story and right before the young rich ruler, we see the story, let the children come to me. And I'll read it, it's just a few verses. Now they were bringing even infants to Jesus that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So now we have the disciples who I think are, are thinking self-righteously. They're thinking, man, you know, Jesus is for us. He's, he's mine. It's, it's for me not for these kids. He doesn't have time for you. And Jesus says, no, no, let the children come. And he says something a little bit extreme. He says, we must come to God like children. I'm like, man, what, is that? what does that mean? You know, if, if the Bible says it, I want to make sure that I can do it. And what, what I perceive this to mean is if we think about infants, if we think about babies, a baby, and this is going to sound a little extreme, let me, let me explain. A baby has nothing to offer. A baby is helpless. A baby's dependent on others. So if you have a child, you can't say, you can't come home from work and say, oh, listen, I had a tough day at work. You know, I'm going to take a sick week. Can you go out and can you just make sure we have groceries this week? Like, no, a child is dependent on you. It's, a child is helpless. Or you can't say to a child, hey, I'm about to go to bed early tonight. Why don't you lock the doors, make sure the house is good for tonight before we go to bed? No, no, no. A child is dependent on you. So like a child, we must come to God with nothing to offer. 
humble, helpless, broken, dependent on him. And just having that mentality, having that, that brokenness that we need God. We need our Father, our Heavenly Father. My question for us this morning is, where in your life are you tempted to think that you're good enough? Where in your life are you tempted to think that you're good enough? Some of us, we like to compare ourselves with others. Say, man, listen, my house, you should see my neighbor's house. There. <laughs> my house is greener grass. We have a nicer backyard. You know, I've never had the cops called on us. We're, we're pretty good. Or maybe, maybe your relationship with Jesus is more like a checklist, a spiritual checklist of good things that you do. And you're, and you're journaling and you're writing, hey, Jesus, guess what? I, I went to church today. Check, I'm, I'm good. Or Jesus, I helped with nursery last year. So I'm good for the next couple of months. You know, check. Jesus, I, I woke up early and I did my devotional. I did my five minutes alone with you. I, I'm good for today. Or, oh, I, I prayed before I ate lunch, but I also forgot to pray for breakfast. So I, I blessed my breakfast with my lunch prayer. And then I also said a prayer for dinner just in case I forget dinner. You know, I prayed today, check. Now, I think sometimes we fall into these habits that we, we think that Jesus wants these good actions and we just do the spiritual checklist in our, in our minds and we think, hey, I'm good with Jesus. Meanwhile, we're struggling and we're like, why are we not on fire for God? Why do I feel like an all-time low in my faith? Point number one, self-righteousness will keep us from going all in for Jesus. Point number two, Fear of losing what you have will keep you from going all in. Fear of losing what you have will keep you from going all in. And getting back to the young rich ruler in Luke, in verse 22, it says that Jesus tells the man he lacks one thing. There's one thing you still lack. And again, I think how we read this part is important. Because when I was reading this in, in Luke, I kind of was like, man, this... It seems like Jesus is calling this guy out, exposing him for who he is in front of everybody. Kind of like that big gotcha moment. Like, okay, you, you, think, you think you're good? You, you kept the, the second half of the Ten Commandments? You know, well, you lack one thing. Do this. And he's, he's kind of exposing him to the crowd. But that's not the case if we look at Mark's account of the story. Mark says one thing. He says, Jesus looked at this man and loved him. Jesus looked at this man and, and had compassion and said to the young rich ruler, you still lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have, give to the poor, and follow me. And in verse 23, we, we read that the man became very sad. In Matthew and Mark, they say that he became sad and that he left. He went away sorrowful. And we don't know much about him in the Bible. We don't know if he ever came back to faith or came back to Jesus maybe after the resurrection. But the Bible's clear at this time, he was unable to give up his stuff, his possessions. He said he went away sad because he had many possessions and he could not follow Jesus. And in my mind, I just thought, man, Jesus went after the idol in this man's heart. Before he could lead him into becoming a disciple and trusting in him, Jesus had to expose this man's idol to himself, but he did it in love. He didn't do it as this big, embarrassing moment where, you know, how dare you think that you're good? You're not. You know, he did it with compassion, with love. Where this ruler thought he was righteous according to the second half of the commandments, Jesus showed him that he failed the very first commandment. 
That first commandment, God said, you shall have no other gods before me. His money was his God. His possessions were his idol. And Jesus is in the business of revealing idols in people's hearts to themselves. This isn't the first time that Jesus did this. There's a story of the woman at the well. I think most of us might have heard this story before. I'm not going to go into it too much. But he says to her, how would you like to never thirst again? How would you like eternal satisfaction? And she says, Jesus, I I love that. Like, please, yes, I'm sick of coming to this well every day. And he says to her, go get your husband. And she's like, oh, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You have, five, you, you have five husbands, or you had five men, and the man you're with now is not your husband either. Again, she wants eternal life. She wants eternal satisfaction, this woman at the well. But Jesus is saying, you have an idol of thirst. You have an idol for relationships with men. You're not in a position to give me your heart until I smash your idol. And looking back to the young ruler, verse 26 after Jesus tells the man his idol, he becomes sad and, and, and Jesus says how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And then in verse 26, the crowd says, but Jesus, who can be saved? If not this man, then who? Again, these people saw this young ruler as someone who was deemed holy in their eyes. He was blessed. Man, if, if he can't do it, we don't stand a chance. And it might be hard for us to relate to that, so I, I came up with an example. If I told you, listen, if you want eternal life, you have to be fast. You have to run fast. Naturally, you would say, well, how fast do I have to be? And I would say, all right, you know Usain Bolt? In case you don't know, fastest man alive, Olympic athlete. I would say, not even he is fast enough. I think logically you'd be like, well, then who? If not him, then who? It's impossible. And Jesus gets to the answer. He says in verse 27, the next verse, what is impossible with man is possible with God. You can't do it by yourself. You're not good enough by yourself. And that's the bad news. And and please don't just hear me saying, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad. I'm bad. This is for me as well. In God's eyes and in view of the law, if if we put ourselves against the law, we fail miserably. And that's the bad news. And we call it the good news of the gospel, and it's called the good news because we don't have to be good enough. We're not judged by the standard of the law. We're judged with, uh, if we have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus was good enough for us on our behalf before God. And when God sees us, he doesn't see us as these terrible, rotten sinners. If we're following Jesus, if he's our Lord and our Savior, he sees us covered with his robes of righteousness. He sees us as his sons and his daughters. And that's the good news of the gospel. My question this morning, are there idols in your life stopping you from receiving the fullness of Christ? Are there idols in your life stopping you from going all in? Jesus has something better to give you than what you're holding on to, than what we're holding on to. And I thought of a, uh, a video that I saw a few, a few years ago, so it's a little, it's a little uh, blurry in my mind. I couldn't find it. It's a video of, of a young child. He's playing one of those claw games, those claw machine games where you put a quarter in uh, and you, you get a prize or candy with, by a claw. Or if you've seen Toy Story, think of the green aliens, the claw, you know, that, that part, that claw game. <laughs> so I see this video, and, and the kid, he wins a prize. He puts his hand into the machine, and he can't get it out. He's stuck. 
And the mom's filming, and she's like kind of laughing a little bit. And I'm like, uh, should she be laughing? Should they call the fire department? What's going on? And if, you know, she lets him kind of struggle a little bit, not too long. But after a few moments, she says, you got to let the toy go. You can't get your hand out because you're making the fist and the toy. You're unable to get it out. You, you can't. Just let it go. And the kid's struggling. No, 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 I want it. I want it. You don't, I want it. I need it. Uh, help, help. I can't get out. After a few moments, the kid lets go and takes his hand out and then carefully reaches in and, and gets the toy, gets the prize, and then he's good. And it just got me thinking, man, in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, Jesus says, what good is it to gain the whole world but lose your soul? You know, is there something in our life that we're like, man, I, I want this, I, I need it, I can't let it go. And then Jesus is saying, you know, come, come follow me. And you're like, Jesus, you're, why am I so far from you? Like, just, you know, ha, what do I do? What do I do? Help, help me out. Let it go. Let go of your idol. What Jesus has to give us is so much more than what we're holding on to in this world. Again, what good is it to gain the world, to go after relationships or wealth or possessions and be focused on the things here, the temporary satisfactions here, and then lose our soul, lose the opportunity to be with Jesus in heaven forever and ever for eternity, worshiping and praising him. If you don't see how costly your sin is against the holy and righteous God and how good Jesus is, you have a belief problem, not a behavior problem. Again, what you believe that what you have, what you're holding on to is better than Jesus saying, let it go, come to me, come to me. For this young rich man, he could not let go of his possessions. And we see that he went away sad. He knew, in a sense, what he was giving up, but he couldn't let it go. I found a quote that says, what you can't give away, you don't own, it owns you. This young rich ruler was owned. He was ruled over by his possessions and he could not let them go for Jesus. Again, following Jesus will cost us something, but not following Jesus will cost us everything. What good is it to gain the whole world but to lose our soul? Point number one, self-righteousness will keep us from going all in for Jesus. Point two, fear of losing what we have, unable to let go and pursue Jesus, will keep us from going all in. Point number three, not realizing what you will gain will keep you from going all in. Not realizing what you will gain will keep you from going all in. Looking back at the story, verse 20 and 29, we see Peter, and I love Peter because Peter... I think he's the most relatable disciple. You're like, man, this guy is so messed. Like, how can he just say these bold things to Jesus? Or he just says what's on his mind. I'm like, to me, I'm impressed. I'm like, man, like, I feel like Peter, like, he, he just speaks freely. And a lot of times it gets him in trouble. But uh, if we're honest, I think that's how we would be too. Um, and, and Peter says this. He, he sees this unravel. He sees the guy, the man, the young ruler, unable to follow Jesus. And Peter says this. He says, see that we have left our homes and followed you. And the way I read that is, is Peter's probably seeing this and he's like, man, Jesus, I followed you. Are, are we good? Like, is that okay? You know, we gave up our lives, our possessions to follow you. Are, are we good enough? You know, is, you, you just said what, with man it's impossible, with God it's possible. Is, is it possible? 
And Jesus answers him saying this. In verse 29, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left their house, wife, brothers, or parents, or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many more times in this time and in the age to come eternal life. So Jesus is now encouraging Peter. He's encouraging his disciples. Listen, whatever you gave up, don't worry, you'll get it back. And more, either in this time, but in the age to come, in eternal life. Again, not realizing who Jesus is will also keep you from going all in. And in Revelation, we get this nice imagery of heaven. I love reading Revelation, even though I can't really understand half of it. Um, but the, the glimpses of heaven, we, we see angels, creatures, elders. We see a throne room of God that, that Jesus is praised 24-7. He's exalted. He's, he's glorified. I just want you to think Jesus left that. Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to leave here. Leave my perfect relationship with the Father and the Spirit. I'm going to leave heaven where I'm getting praised day and night. I'm going to leave my throne room for an old rugged cross for love. Again, Jesus is God who came down from heaven in pursuit of us to show his love, to die for us. That's how much he loved us. He gave up heaven temporarily to come to earth and and he knew he was going to die and he knew he was going to suffer. He's our savior and he alone is worthy of our praise and our full devotion. That's why I love singing that that last song that we sang right before the sermon. You know, I will build my life on you. It's a firm foundation, but it says, worthy of all the praise we can ever bring. Jesus is worthy. Again, Jesus isn't after a part of our lives or a part of our heart. He wants the whole thing. He wants us all. Jesus came and he gave everything. He went all in force. When he died on the cross, he didn't become like half dead where he was kind of still alive but not really. No, no, he, he gave up his life completely. He went all in for us and he demands us to go all in for him. Again, not realizing who Jesus is or not realizing what we have to gain will keep us from going all in for Jesus. And I found a quote from, from Joni Erickson Tata. I don't know if, if you know who this woman is, um, but, but really quickly, she's, she grew up in a, an athletic household. So she grew up playing sports. She was a swimmer. And at the age of 15, she went to a retreat where the preacher told the, the people listening to look at the Ten Commandments and to compare your life to them and ask, are you good? And she came to the realization that she needs a savior, that she's not good enough. So she, she gave her life to Christ on that retreat when she was 14. And in her testimony, she explains how she went through the motions in middle school and high school. And towards the end of high school, right before her graduation, as she was thinking about college and heading off, she said, man, something's wrong with my relationship with Jesus. She prayed, Jesus, help me not to defame your name. Help me not to drag it in the mud. Jesus, help me to be right with you. And after her graduation, her sister Kathy invited her to go to the beach and to go swimming. So Joni's out there, and she tells the story. She's swimming out to a raft in the middle of the beach, and she doesn't even touch the bottom of the, of the water because she's athletic and she's good. She doesn't need a break. So she, she's swimming all the way out there, and she says that she dives headfirst into the water. Little does she know it's shallow water. And what happens is she severs her spinal cord. She breaks her neck, and she tells the story. If you haven't heard, I encourage you to go to YouTube and listen to it. It's powerful. 
She's saying she's laying in the water face down, unable to move. And she's like, is this it? And uh, I'm getting ready to drown. She's like, I don't even know if my sister's looking at me. And her sister, she found out that her sister was on the shore. And at that same moment, she was turning her back to, to the water. And she got bit by a crab. And she was like, ooh. And she said, hey, Joni, watch out for crabs. And then all of a sudden, she saw her sister and she swam out and, and saved her. And now Joni's laying in a hospital bed listening to doctors and understanding that she's completely paralyzed from the waist down. She can't ever walk. And she's almost completely paralyzed from the neck down. She has very limited arm and finger movements. So she's wheelchair bound for the rest of her life. Limited movement. And she's fighting off depression. She's listing the promises of God. And at the same time, in the back of her mind, she's struggling. I think most of us would. And then she comes to the realization, she says this, I'd rather be in this wheelchair with Jesus than walking without him. She's saying, Jesus, what you gave me is so much greater than my legs. What you gave me is so much more than I could imagine. I, I never, if I can walk again, and that means not knowing Jesus, keep me in this wheelchair. Like, man, the faith in that quote, it's, it's convicting. Would I say that? Again, what, what Christ has to offer us is better. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, and we, we've probably all heard this quote before. He says, We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Don't be like the young rich ruler. He was far too easily pleased with his earthly possessions, with his wealth. He's, he's holding on to them, and Jesus is saying, let it go and come to me. And he's like, Jesus, I, I can't. I, I, I like this. Why can't you just give me eternal life on top of my possessions? Why is it costing me my possessions? Again, Jesus gets to the idol of his heart and says, if you truly want eternal life, if you want to pursue me, you got to let go of your idols. You have to be all in. Don't be pleased with the things of this world. The more that we meditate on Jesus, the more we see his goodness and his love. The more that we see that we're not worthy, and the hope is that we don't have to be, and that's the good news. Jesus paid it all for us. He went all in for you. He went all in for me. Again, please don't hear me saying, like, you guys have idols, you do. No, no, I do too. We, we all have idols in our lives that temporarily uh, give, uh, we, we give devotion and we give worship to. And Jesus says, listen, I don't want there to be competition for the throne room of your heart. I want it all. There shouldn't be idols that I have to battle for your worth, for your, for your worship. I want it all. Again, Jesus is worthy of it. If you're here today and, and maybe you don't know who Jesus is, maybe this is the first time you're hearing about Jesus, I would encourage you, come talk to me after the, after the lesson, after the service. I'd love to tell you more about who Jesus is. That you have a Savior, someone who, who saw you at your worst, who saw you at your best and it was still your worst. And he says, I love you, I'm going to die for you. Again, Jesus pursued you. And on the cross, he, he extends the invitation Come follow me. Put your faith, put your trust in me. Make me your foundation. 
And I want to end with this question, and, and don't, don't answer it right away. Just, just meditate on it, chew on it, maybe this week or today. If Jesus came into church today, say you're the last person to leave the building. There's no one else around. Jesus knocks on the door, and you, you know it's Jesus. There's not a doubt in your mind. And he says to you, come follow me. Would you? Or maybe your response would be, all right, Jesus, wait one minute. Let me just kiss my wife goodbye. No, 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 come follow me. Jesus, wait, let me just, let me just go back home and, and just tidy up the house a, a tiny bit. No, no, come follow me. Give me your all. Would you follow him? Let's pray. And the worship team can make their way back to the stage. Dear Jesus, as we were, we were reminded this morning, you require our all. God, you aren't after a part of our life or a part of our hearts. Father, you want everything. Jesus, you alone are worthy of our praise, our adoration, our glory. God, I pray that if we're here and, we, and we're following you but we're struggling, help reveal to us what our idol is. Most likely there's something else that we're pursuing rather than you. God, help us to be able to ask a friend if necessary to find out what an idol is in our life. God, we don't want to live our whole lives thinking we're serving and pleasing you and then die and get before you in heaven and you say to us, you never knew us. That's a scary thought. God, I pray that we're uh, just encouraged and reminded of your love for us this morning. God, I pray that if you asked us that question and physically if you were here to follow us, our answer without a doubt would be yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. God, we thank you so much for loving us. We thank you for sending Jesus to came, who came and willingly died for us. Father, I pray that this week we can just meditate and think, man, are we self-righteous? Are we, are, is, there, is there a pride or ego in our lives that, that are holding me back? Is there something I'm holding on to? Or do I not know what's at stake? Father, please reveal this to us. Thank you for loving us. In your holy name we pray. Amen.